You're listening to New City's Sermon Podcast. We hope you're empowered and challenged as we root deep in God's word in order that we might grow in the good news of King Jesus and live as faithful citizens of his kingdom right here in our city. Let's get into the scriptures now. Our our four-week series uh, called CrossFit, Spiritual Fitness in the Church, or as a church, and we talked the first week about showing up and how as a healthy church, you can't have a healthy church if no one shows. you got to show up. And then last week, uh, how a healthy church, a spiritually fit church, steps up. In other words, we need people doing stuff who are willing to say, we want to see this body of believers here trained and thriving, and so stepping up and serving. And then this week, we're going to talk about fueling up or resourcing the church, resourcing the body of Christ. You can put it on that next slide. So when you work out, um, when you work out, your body needs energy, it needs calories, it needs fuel, and if you don't have that, you don't have fuel, calories, water, your body's not able to do what it's supposed to do. Um, In a similar way, the church requires resources from the people in the church in order to do the work of God that the church is called to do. Today I want to talk about Giving and the church and generosity and money and how the money allows us to do the work of God that we've been called to do. Now, I know as soon as I said this, everyone was like, money and giving and the church. And immediately some of you got skeptical, right? Because I don't blame you. Because what you see a lot that's taught around this or what happens with the church and money, there's been scandals or there's been things revealed and you go, I don't trust the church and money, which I understand. I, under, I really do understand that. And so as soon as I said, I, you know, we're going to talk about the church and money, everyone's like, I got my eye on you, pastor. I'm watching you. And I get that. I get that. just kind of comes with the territory. And so the picture that you have of the church and money is one of skepticism. But other of you uh, have had different experiences And you've had an experience where uh, someone's told you that if you give money to the church, God will give you more money. And so to guarantee the way that you get money from God is that you give money to the church. And maybe that's the place you're coming from. And I'll just tell you right now, that's not necessarily a biblical teaching. It's a way to get money for the church, but it's not a biblical teaching. It's another picture that causes us to be skeptical and ask questions about giving when it comes to the church. So I want to ask you today, what are your pictures that you come with uh, when we talk about giving and finances in the church? Everyone comes from a different place because I really want you to think about that because I want you to see a fresh picture of generosity and giving in the church from the passage that we're looking at today. In our text today, Paul is writing to the church in Corinth. And the church in Corinth had a little bit of money. And they had made a pledge to another church, the church in Jerusalem, who didn't have money. In fact, the the church in Jerusalem was in dire need of finances. And the church in Corinth said, we got them. We're going to cover them financially. We're going to help out. But then they never actually followed through. So the apostle Paul's in this weird spot where they have committed to give the church of Corinth, to the church in Jerusalem, but they have not done it. They have not done it. Now, here's the interesting thing. Paul's an apostle. 
I mean, he has authority. He has every right to say, you said it, do it. Not only that, but he could guilt them and say, look at your poor brothers and sisters, and you have all this money. Give to them. But he doesn't guilt them, nor does he call on his authority. He graces them. Rather than guilting them, he graces them. If you can flip to the next slide. Last week we learned about mercy. And mercy is God not giving us the just just punishment that we deserve. That's mercy. But grace is this. Grace is that God gives us favor and blessing and love that we do not deserve. Mercy is withholding a punishment. Grace is giving a blessing. And today we're going to talk about grace because in this passage, the Apostle Paul uses that grace, that grace term over and over and over again. Sometimes he uses the word grace and sometimes he uses a Greek form of the word grace that we don't see in the original language. So I've highlighted each one for you. And what Paul's point is when he talks about generosity and giving and money and the church, he says this, when you understand Jesus' grace towards you, you'll grow in generous giving. When you look at Jesus and his generous grace, it will form you into generous giving people. As we read through this text, I've highlighted every time that Paul uses the word grace in the original Greek, and so I'm going to ask you to help. I'm going to point to you, and you'll say the word that's in bold. But let me pray first, and then we'll look at 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. Father God, you have uh, blessed us with so many blessings that we do not deserve. And so I pray that today we would get a deeper grasp of your grace. And that that would not just be something that we sit on, but something that changes us and spiritually molds us. And here's the reality. We can't change our hearts. And so we need your help. We need your help to come in and renovate our hearts so that we begin to operate out of the grace that you give to us in Jesus Christ. We pray that you would bless the reading of your word and bless this time as we seek instruction in grace. And all God's people said, amen. Paul the apostle writes, and he says this, we want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the of God that was given to the churches of Macedonia. During a severe trial, Brought, uh, brought about by affliction, their abundant joy and their extreme poverty overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. I can testify that according to their ability and even beyond their ability of their own accord. They begged us earnestly for the of sharing in the ministry to the saints. And not just as we had hoped, instead they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us by God's will. So we urge Titus that just as he had begun, so he should also complete among you this act of Now as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, and in all diligence, and in your love for us, excel also in this act of I am not saying this as a command. Rather, by means of the diligence of others, I am testing the genuineness of your love. For you know... Of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich for your sake, he became poor so that by his poverty you might become rich. And in this matter, I am giving advice because it is profitable for you 
who began last year not only to do something, but also to want to do it, now also finish the task, so that just as there was an eager desire, there may also be a completion according to what you have. For if the eagerness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. It is not that there should be relief for others and hardship for you, but it is a question of equality. At the present time, your surplus is available for their need, so that their abundance may in turn meet your need, in order that there may be equality. As it is written, the person who had, who had much did not have too much, and the person who had little did not have too little. The point is this. The person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and the person who sows generously will also reap generously. Each person should do as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or out of compulsion, since God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make every overflow to you, so that in every way, always having everything you need, you may excel in every good work. As it is written, he distributed freely, he gave to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now the one who provides seed for the sower and bread for food will also provide and multiply your seed and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way for all generosity, which produces thanksgiving to God through us. For the ministry of the service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the proof provided by this ministry, they will glorify God for your obedient confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone. And as they pray on your behalf, they will have a deep affection for you because of the surpassing of God in you. Be to God for his indescribable gift. The word of the Lord. Several years ago, um, I decided to try high-intensity training. And I don't know if you remember when P90X came out. And everyone was on the P90X rave. And I looked at the price tag and I thought, I'm not going to get on that rave because it's a little too expensive. But I heard of another guy uh, named Sean T who did this workout called the Insanity Workout. And I thought, well, I'll get a little crazy. I'll try it. And then I saw... I saw the price tag on that, and I thought, I'm not that crazy. Um, and so I, I thought, is there a way that I can try out Sean T and the Insanity Workout without paying for it? Um, because I just, I didn't want to spend the money if I wasn't going to like it. And so I searched around on the internet. Sometimes people put things on YouTube, and you can, like, get a, a free clip of it or something like that. But I couldn't find anything like that on the internet. I couldn't find a free session of the Insanity Workout led by Sean T. But I did find something interesting. On YouTube, I found videos of people in their living room watching Sean T on the TV in their living room, and you got to watch them as they watched Sean T and as they did the workout. So I thought, that's what I get for not being willing to pay. I'm going to have to be led by these people in their living room, and I can kind of see the TV and kind of see Sean T. I can hear him, but I've got to look at these people. So I tried it. I tried to work out with these people in their living room. And uh, it was interesting because their form was not very good. Like I could tell that they were not doing it like Sean T instructed in the Insanity Workout. And so after a while, I decided I'm not going to watch them. 
I'm going to turn my screen this way so I can't see it, but I'll still be able to hear Sean T. give instruction in their living room that then I can hear from my screen. And so I did. I worked out just listening to what Sean T. said, and, and that was hard, too, because I couldn't really see it. So finally, I turned the screen back and looked back at these people in their living room, and they're not even doing the workout anymore. <laughs> they were, like, laying on the ground taking a break. And Sean T had not said to take a break. Their form was poor. They weren't listening to what Sean T said. They were not a good picture of the insanity workout. As we talk about the church and giving today, there are a lot of places you should not look if you want a good picture of what it means to be generous if, it want, if you want to understand what it means to give and what do you understand how the church receives that money and uses it. Just like in that, in that time, I, I found a poor example with poor form. There are many poor examples with poor form about the church and giving and finances. You'll look to some people that say, listen, if you give God your money, it guarantees that God will give you tenfold and your money back. That's poor form. That's not true. You'll look at other people who say, listen, you're not a really good Christian if you don't give a certain amount. That's poor form because it's based on guilt. It's not based on you wanting to give. It's based on forcing you to give. And so that's poor form. You'll look at others who will tell you to give, but then they're getting rich off your giving. That's poor form. Don't look at them. You'll look to others who say, listen, Jesus doesn't care at all if you give. But let me tell you, that's poor form as well. It's poor form as well because Jesus honors even the poor widow who gives just a little tiny coin. Well, some of you are like, Pastor John, that's all that's out there. That's all that's out there. Those are the only examples we have. What else is there? Is there something else that we can look to? Is there someone else that we can look to? Where am I supposed to look? And that's what this passage is about. In this passage, Paul says to us, look to Jesus who is full of generosity to you. And look to Jesus who is full of grace for you. And as you look at Jesus, it will change you. Because in Jesus' grace, he generously gives himself to people who have nothing to offer him. And in Jesus' grace, he gives counter-conditional love to undeserving people. And in Jesus' grace, he dies for us when we can never pay him back. If you want a good picture of generosity and giving, first look to Jesus and his grace for us. And as you really take Jesus and his grace for you in, it will change you. It will make you a generous, giving person. So the church at Corinth had this promise that was left unfulfilled. They had said, we are going to give to this church in Jerusalem. And they didn't give. They had left the promise unfulfilled. And like I said, Paul could come in and say, do it. Give. You made the commitment, do it. But he doesn't guilt them. He graces them. In verse 7 and 8, First of all, rather than condemning them, he commends them. He says, now as you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and in all diligence and in your love for us, 
In other words, he doesn't start with what they're not doing. He starts with what they're good at. You, you guys in Corinth, you're good at God-honoring speech and God-honoring knowledge and gospel-centered love. He graces them. But then he says this, excel also in this act of grace. As you're good at these other things, be good at being generous. And he says, I'm not saying this as a command. In other words, he could command them to give, but he doesn't. He says, I want to invite you into something rather than to command you to do something. I want to invite you into showing grace and love by generously following through on the gift that you pledged. See, it's not you must, it's you get to. You get to show grace. Why does grace matter so much when it comes to giving? The reason is, is because grace matters so much to Jesus. And Jesus is full of grace for you. What Paul says next in verse 9 is, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. What does it mean that in Jesus' grace, he became poor so that we might become rich? And and in his poverty, we are welcomed into his riches. What does that mean? The Bible teaches that God is a three-in-one God. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One God, three different persons. All of them are made of God's stuff, but they're individuals. And they're... They're individual persons as the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And their relationship is the most rich relationship that has ever been or ever will be. There's perfect harmony. There's no competition. There's no manipulation. There is only truth and love and compassion and submission to one another between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And the the, the Trinity created humankind to enter into relationship with him, to be part of that rich relationship where there was no sin and no brokenness and no competition. We were created to be in relationship. But when Adam and Eve fell in the garden, we were separated from the Trinity. We were separated from God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And what became normal for us is not rich relationship, but broken relationships, So that every relationship has some sort of competition or disunity or or there's gossip or lying. And that's normal for us. But the Trinity continued to dwell in the richness of their presence together. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit together in this rich relationship of love and harmony and unity in heaven together. In heaven where there was no sin to corrupt relationships. In heaven, where the angels praise the members of the Trinity day and night. In heaven, where there was no relational brokenness. That was rich. But Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, was willing to leave the riches of his relationship with the Father and the Spirit. He was willing to leave the relationships he had in heaven and enter into the poverty and brokenness of this world. Why? Why was he willing? Why was he willing to leave that and come here? Was it because he wanted more glory? 
Most of the time he was in ministry on the earth, no one knew who he really was. Was it more riches? No. He lived in poverty and didn't have a place to lay his head while he lived on earth. Jesus didn't leave heaven to become upwardly mobile. Rather, he came downwardly mobile. Well, why did he come? Was it something in you? Did he look at you and say, I see something good in you, and therefore I'll leave the riches of heaven and enter into the poverty of earth? Did he leave the most beautiful place in the universe because he needed you? No. He was in rich relationship with the Father and the Spirit. Jesus didn't become downwardly mobile because of you or something in you. Jesus became poor because of something in him. Grace. Jesus left heaven and came to earth because of his grace. It wasn't about something he saw in you. It was about the internal motivations in him to show unmerited favor and undeserved blessing by coming to earth. Jesus left the riches of heaven and took on poverty because of the grace in him. He went from the beauty of heaven to the brokenness of this world because of his grace. He left the loving presence of his father and lived among thieves and manipulators and liars because of his grace. He left the praises of angels and and entered into this world listening to words that were not God-honoring and not loving because of his grace. Not because of something in you, but because of something in him. Grace. Jesus stepped away from the riches of heaven and came to brokenness in earth and became impoverished. He was royal and divine, but he lived in poverty on earth. He was a king, but he went to the cross as a criminal. Though relationally strong with his father, he was separated from his father on the cross. And though sinless, he bore your punishment for sin. Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, the the, the king of heaven, left heaven and became impoverished on this earth to take your place on the cross under the wrath of God because of his grace. Because of his unmerited, unmerited favor and blessing, so that you and I might become rich. See, if you believe in Jesus and you've repented of your sins and you've turned to him, you are invited into relationship again with the Trinity. The Father is no longer just the Father of Jesus, he's your Father. The Spirit comes and lives inside of you to empower you and remind you that you do have a relationship with Abba God, Abba Father, and empower you to live out the Christian life. You're invited to come back in and not be separated from our three-in-one God, but invited into the riches of relationship with him because of what Jesus has done for you. Have you done that? Have you turned away from your sins and, and looked to the cross For salvation, by his poverty, you become rich. One day, you will see God face to face. You will meet God face to face in a heavenly city. And the relationship will be so rich with your father that he will wipe every tear from your eye. And all the brokenness of this world will seem like a distant dream. 
because you're now face-to-face in a rich relationship with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit for eternity. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. Grace. The grace that is in Jesus. Do you do you get that? Can you taste the freedom that the grace of Jesus offers to you? When you fail, Jesus is still full of grace. When you're broken, Jesus is still full of grace. When you're sinful, Jesus doesn't second guess whether he should have come for you because he didn't come for something that you would do for him. He came because of the grace in him. Nothing you do makes him second guess coming for you. There is no government shutdown on grace because Jesus never runs out. Jesus is full of grace for you. Do, do you see it? That you can stop worrying about whether you're a good person or a bad person? Because grace says you're a bad person, but you're loved, and it doesn't have to do with how good or bad you are because it's about the grace in Jesus. Do you see the freedom from fear? Your identity isn't in something that you do or don't do, but what Jesus has done for you because of the grace in him. And then you have a freedom to respond to him, not out of fear, not out of guilt, not out of shame, not out of compulsion, but out of love. Because he loved you first. And he showed unmerited favor in coming and dying for you on the cross. And therefore, you're invited into something. You're invited to receive the grace of Jesus, but then also reflect the grace of Jesus. You're invited to give yourself away to others in the same way that Jesus has given himself away to you. See, one of our problems with giving is that we give to get something rather than looking at what has been given to us and then giving out of that. And therefore, our giving isn't really giving because we're giving to get something rather than looking at what we got in Jesus and letting that free our hearts to give without expecting anything in return. And that goes for all of our life, but it also goes for giving and finances and generosity. Paul is telling the Corinthian church to look at the grace of Jesus Christ to them and let that motivate their hearts to give freely and be generous. And see, that's the key for you. Because if you look at all the poor form around giving and generosity and the church, you'll check out. You'll give and you won't get. You'll look at scandals and you'll be, your heart will begin to grow cold. But if you look at the generosity of Jesus to you, it changes you into a generous person. Paul tells the Corinthians to look at Jesus Christ, but then he says something interesting. He actually points to a third church who I didn't mention, but we read about. There's the church in Corinth, which is wealthy. There's the church in Jerusalem that's poor. But then there's another church, the church at Macedonia, and they're poor as well. But because the grace of Jesus has affected them, they decide that they want to give not out of their extra, 
but out of their lack to the church in Jerusalem. Paul says this in chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. We want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that was given to the churches of Macedonia. During a severe trial brought about by their affliction, their abundant joy and their extreme poverty overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. I can testify that according to their ability and even beyond their ability of their own accord, they begged us earnestly for the privilege of sharing in the ministry of the saints. This church in Macedonia is an example of what happens when you get the grace of Jesus because they didn't have extra money to give. They gave out of their extreme poverty, not out of their extreme wealth. And even though they probably could have used money, it says that they begged Paul to allow them to give for the Jerusalem church. Be careful how much you look at the generosity of Jesus because it will do radical things to your heart. You will begin to give without expecting anything back in return because generosity reflects Jesus's grace. And it wasn't out of guilt or pressure that this impoverished church gave. They just decided to give. And when we're not pressured to give what we don't have, we're invited to give from what we do have, there's a real freedom there. Did you catch that? You're not, you're not compulsed to give from what you don't have. You're invited to look at what you do have and give from that. And that's because in the kingdom of God, there is no ranking system. The person who gives more is not more important than the person who gives less. Look how Paul puts it in verse 11. Now also finish the task so that just as there was an eager desire, there may also be a completion according to what you have. For if the eagerness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. It's not that there should be relief for others and hardship for you, but it's a question of equality. At the present time, your surplus is available for their need so that their abundance may in turn meet your need in order that there may be equality. Paul encourages the Corinthians to complete their promise and follow through. But the point isn't the greatness of their gift. The point is that they're giving from a generous heart from what they have, not from what they don't have. Some of you give to God's work here at New City and you don't have much to give, but you give anyway. You need to know that even if it is a small amount, it is important in the kingdom of God. Your small gift is not insignificant because it reflects the grace of Jesus to you. And some of you are able to give more, and you do. And that reflects the grace of Jesus to you as well. That together, whether we're giving a little or a lot, we are contributing to what Jesus is doing in this world. That's what Paul had previously taught the Corinthians in the previous book, chapter 16, verse 2. He says, on the first day of the week, each of you is to set aside uh, something aside and save in keeping with how he is prospering. In other words, if you're not rich, you can't give a ton of money. It's according to what you have, not what you don't have. And there is a freedom that comes from being generous from what the Lord has put in your hand because God really loves when people give freely and joyfully and generously, not out of guilt, shame, 
This is a famous verse that we read earlier in, in chapter 9, verse 6 through 7. Paul says the point is this, the person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, as the person who sows generously will also reap generously. Each person should do as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or out of compulsion, since God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make every grace overflow to you so that in every way, always having everything you need, you may excel in every good work. As it is written, he distributed freely, he gave to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. God loves when we give generously and freely because that reflects the generous free gift of Jesus Christ to us. Undeserving broken, sinful people. God freely gave us Jesus Christ. In fact, God is so delighted when you give that this verse is are actually saying that he resources you in order to be able to give. In other words, maybe you've never thought about what's in your hand as a tool for God's work, as an expression of generosity for Jesus' grace. But God loves generosity so much that he wants to include you in the giving so he has put something in your hand to give away. To give away to the work of God, to give away to those in need. He loves generosity and he loves it when people aren't under compulsion to give but give freely. And that's why we don't have any, you know, it's 2019, that's why we don't have any like In 2019, you're going to unlock this if you give $2.19 or $200.19. We don't want you to give out of compulsion. You're to give out of a generous heart by looking at the cross of Jesus and and what he's done for you. And the amazing thing is that God is such a generous giver. Even if you're like, I don't want to give, I can't give, you're free to ask God to help you to give. Lord, help me to see Jesus and his grace towards me. Lord, my bills, I'm having trouble paying them. I want to be generous. Would you help me? Would you put something in my hand to give? I think the amazing thing is we've already seen that happen in this church. A couple years ago, many of you struggled to pay bills. And we try our best to take care of each other, um, but we have limited funds at this church. And what we saw is people in the church say, I don't even need to know who it goes to, but I'm going to give in order to help someone else pay their bill. I was like, amen. Amen. God's wounded family at work, that's it. They didn't even need to get a thank you from a person, but they wanted to help someone else pay their bill. That's so compelling, and it's so beautiful because it reflects God's grace to us in Jesus Christ. The only people that can really do that are people who have been affected deeply by grace. Which does bring us to one question. We do got to answer one question. What do you get out of giving? Come on, I know that you're wondering. I wonder too. When we're generous, I want to know what am I getting back out of this? And the Bible does promise us eternal rewards for giving. So what you give now is blessed and rewarded in the future. But this passage also does say that you get something when you give here on earth. In 2 Corinthians 9, 10 through 11, he says, Now the one who provides seed for the sower and bread for food will also provide and multiply your seed and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way for all generosity. 
the grace of Jesus comes to us, it grows in us, then we get to take part in bringing the message of Jesus to others. That's the harvest of righteousness that that passage was talking about. See, part of the giving, or part of the gift of giving, is that you get to participate in giving. In other words, as the message of Christ has come to you and changed you, and you're fully accepted through what Jesus has done for you, then you become part of God's instrument to spread that grace and that message of the gospel forward to other people. So that you're not giving just to go, what can be put back in my hand? But you're saying, what is in my hand in order that the gospel could go forward to someone else who needs the grace of Jesus? And when, when we take something from our hand and put it in someone else's hand, then hands get raised in praise. In other words, when people see generous people, it points them to the God of all grace and brings them to a point of worship. Look what Paul says in verses 11 and 12. It produces thanksgiving to God through us, for the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. In other words, when you give, God gets more praise because people see a practical expression of real grace and real generosity when someone's sacrificial on behalf of others. And then in verse 13 through 14, he says, The proof provided by this ministry, they will glorify God for your obedient confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone. And as they pray on your behalf, they will have deep affection for you because of the surpassing grace of God. In other words, when you're generous, generosity becomes contagious. Generosity becomes contagious. It brings people into the, the worship of God. It binds relationships together as people see you're sacrificial for them with your finances. Because the gift you give is evidence of God's grace working in you. So what do you get? What do you get when you give? Giving is the gift. The ability to participate in giving is the gift that God gives us because it produces so much joy and righteousness in the advancement of the gospel and mutual love and affection among people who see you're sacrificially giving. When you generously give, generous giving is the gift. Several years ago, I was in Togo, West Africa. And um, I go there frequently, and there's one little church that whenever I'm there, I try and visit, and I was there probably four or five years ago and was asked to preach in this little church, and Pastor Barry, who you remember from November, was here. He went with me, and I uh, went in this little church about uh, probably from the wall forward. It wasn't that big, probably about the same amount of people that are in here, but it was loud. I mean, it was really loud. It was an apostolic church, so they got their worship on, and uh, when I got up to preach, my ears, I couldn't hear much, but I tried to give the best message I could. Uh, but what stuck with me from that experience was what happened at the end of the service. At the end of the service, their pastor came forward and said, we would like to take a love offering for you, pastor. We'd like to take a love offering just to thank you guys for coming here. And so in this little church, no one really had any money. They passed around an offering basket to give to me and Barry. And they collected all this change and they tied it up in a little handkerchief and tied a little string around it 
and presented it to us. And I, I am so humbled and honored because they needed it. I did not. And Pastor Barry grabbed the handkerchief with the coins in it, and it wasn't very many, and he stood up in front of everybody and he said, uh, can, I, can I say something? And everyone said, sure. And he said, with your permission, I'd like to give this back to you that you could then distribute it to the widows in your church and buy them food and to the orphans surrounding your church and you can buy them clothes. And as he said it, there was a little bit of a silence because they probably had not heard something like that before. But then they began to nod and then they began to clap and then they rose to their feet and began to cheer. And they weren't cheering for us. They weren't cheering for their own generosity. They were cheering for God. They were cheering for God because in that moment, there had been so much generosity back and forth that it was a reflection of our God who is gracious and generous and gives freely. God the Father who gave us Jesus. Jesus who gave himself because of his grace. The Holy Spirit who lives in us and gives himself to us. And as we talk about fueling the church, you need to understand something. The church is not fueled by money. Rather, Jesus Christ fuels the church with grace. And then he changes us and makes us generous people so that we're open with our resources and can spread that grace in our city and in our world. Jesus fuels us up with generous grace in order that we might show that grace and resource the work of God. See, to participate with Jesus in giving is the gift. And that's why Paul ends this passage saying this. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you've freely given yourself to us. And we thank you that you are making us more like you. We, we do pray that you would change us so that we grasp hold of your grace. That we, you free us from some sort of bartering system with you. That we just re rest and rely on who you are. But then, Father, that that grace would make us people who give not just our resources, but all of ourselves away to others in love. Only you can do this, Jesus, by the power of your spirit. We thank you for your word. And all God's people said,